tell me how many times you've worked for a company and on an orientation day, you've been given a really beautiful pamphlet that talked all about what they cared about, what they valued, and you never heard that again after that day, right? And then that's what you see happen, right, Mike? Like you, any organization, they kind of, I always laugh or I joke that they go, values go to collect digital dust wherever they land, but Values are a living, breathing thing. They should be in daily conversations and they should be aspirational, right? They're kind of this really beautiful check and balance where we can say, this is who we want to be. So we make decisions based on that. And this is kind of who we are. Welcome to Wave Social Podcast powered by Arcade Studios. My name's Mike. I'm here with my co-host Mitzi, and we've curated a show for digital marketers, advertisers, and modern entrepreneurs who want to stop chasing the tide and start making waves online. Each episode, we'll sit down with the tastemakers and strategic minds behind some of the most engaged communities and up-and-coming brands. We'll pull back the curtain on their strategies and experiences to uncover the methodology behind their seismic impact. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive in. Today on the podcast, we have Sarah McCabe. Sarah is a business coach, consultant, box breaker, and not-so-secret dancer. We talk a lot about that, actually, in this episode. After spending over a decade leading and developing teams across North America, Sarah left the corporate world to help creative entrepreneurs learn how to work and lead in a way that actually works for them. She's my personal business coach, and I'm really excited about her being on the show because I like to say that she's really my business therapist. Yes, and I feel like she's my business coach by osmosis just because she spends so much time with you. But mm-hmm. Sarah's amazing and even goes to show how generous she is because she shared a discount code for our listeners specifically for a new product of hers called Launch It. So if you go to sarahmccabe.com, check out Launch It and just use the discount code WAVES to get access to that deal. And get 10% off. Yeah, she's amazing. It'll give you a little taste of what her style of coaching is. So I highly recommend you do that. But we talk a lot about different things in this episode. A few of the topics we covered are the antidote to your unhealthy relationship with work. Important. Very important. How does it boundaries and create space for creativity, intrinsic motivation, and how that translates to your values as a person or a business leader. And I just want to also emphasize that this episode is, in my opinion, really important to anyone who works on a team or who's leading a team. And if you don't feel like you're leading a team and this is relevant to you, I want to say that at some point you will be working with teams because all the best work that happens, happens in teams. So this isn't just about leading a business. It's also about leading yourself. And I love how she approaches that. Yeah, super, super relevant. I feel like I was just scribbling notes the entire time. Before we get into it, we're going to read a review as we always do. This one is from Rachel DTM. She gave five stars and said, inspiring and different. She says, as someone in the social media marketing field, I listen to a handful of marketing podcasts. Mitzi and Mike provides an interesting and different outlook on trendy topics. I often bring their topics and discussion into both my work and my personal life. Thank you for that, Rachel. Um, Without further ado, though, we're going to get into it with Sarah. So buckle up, get out your notepad, get ready. Sarah McCabe, welcome to the Waves show. We're so excited to have you. Thank you. I'm so stoked to be here. I have that feeling of like introducing a significant partner to the world. It feels like you and I have done so much vulnerable behind the scenes work together. So it feels vulnerable to be, this is, you know, who I've been working with and this is why I've changed so much. And this is the person who's changed my life. This is what that interview (laughs) feels like to me. I can see that. 
I feel like I'm in a three-way happy hour with the mysterious third partner for my business. I don't know how to articulate that well, but here we are. It really does feel special. So thank you for joining us in the show. We're so excited to dive in and we're just going to kick it all off and give you the floor. Tell us what you do. What is a leadership coach? How did you get into that? And what made you want to do that? Just the easiest question to start off with, you know, (laughs) this is always, I I always kind of chuckle when I get this because I can be long winded. And so I'm always like, Sarah, give the cliff notes of this. <laughs> so I ha- I honestly have had always had a really kind of complicated relationship with authority. So it is kind of funny that I am a leadership coach. But I really think that my experience, especially early on in corporate really shaped my desire to help leaders become better leaders to understand themselves better. So I won't rewind too far. But it's kind of funny, I got kicked out of class a lot growing up. So as I mentioned, I've always had a really complicated relationship with authority. I, I grew up asking why a lot. Even when I was in business school, you don't think you can get kicked out of a class in college. You absolutely can. I have always been one to kind of ask why we're doing this. Why does it have to be done that way? And that really much very followed me through to the start of my corporate career. When I started off doing more of the creative, much more of the creative side of things in business, but I had a boss along the way who kind of recognized how much I love working with people and really kind of gave me my first opportunity, gave me a budget to actually put on a training seminar. And that was really the start of my career of working in people development. And that kind of blossomed. And I just really started to see how not only rewarding it is for me, but from a business standpoint, how rewarding it is to invest in people to help them beyond just that position in the company and to potentially help them gain those skills that can follow them throughout the rest of their career. So what do I do with people? Really simply, I kind of focus on four things when it comes to leadership, self-awareness, communication, conflict resolution, and values. And there's so much that stems from that. So that's kind of my like Cliff's Notes version of everything without getting too, too deep into it. But that is really what I do. That's really what I work on with people. That's awesome. I've never had a session with you personally, but I know Yet. by osmosis that <laughs> you are really good at what you do because <laughs> of you. everything that Mitzi brings home to me about it. <laughs> so thank you. But I want to just talk about even like how you define what a coach is, because I think especially on social media, it feels like so many people have just kind of claimed this title of coach. And we know that there's people that are actually great at it. And there's people that it might be a little bit of a stretch. So how do you, Sarah, define what a coach is, especially as it relates to specifically what you're doing? Or do you even call yourself a coach? I have tried to come up with anything other than calling myself a coach, to be honest, because I like exactly like Mike said, I think the state of the coaching industry at this point is problematic. I I really believe that it is because there are a lot of people who are just kind of slapping that title on themselves without any experience or any kind of education to really back that up. And that creates a lot of problems. And it also creates a lot of distrust. So I have tried to find any other name to call myself. Unfortunately, there really isn't anything else at this point, although I'm always looking. But this isn't even it was a great question, Mike. It's not even my definition of what a coach is. This is the definition of what a coach is versus, you know, even what a consultant is. So a coach very much treats the person that they're working with as the expert. So they are really there to 
guide to help uncover to kind of be like a little bit of a mirror of sorts and to really help them uncover what it is that they want to do what's going to work best for them and through questioning neutral questioning you're helping that person uncover and create a process ultimately that's going to work for them whatever context that might be versus a consultant a consultant's really coming in as an expert so they are giving you that how to right there is no kind of collaboration in that relationship they're really jumping in taking control of everything and implementing a very clear kind of process so there really is a different relationship and engagement when it comes to coaching versus consulting. And what you see a lot in the coaching industry at this point, and again, this is just my opinion, is a lot of people coming in acting as consultants, but labeling it as coaching. Hmm. I think that's such a great definition because coaching, from my perspective, just captured a lot of what people do. But I love drawing the distinction and it helps, I think, people understand what they actually need. And sometimes I'll also be a little transparent. I didn't know I needed coaching. I knew I needed support. And I assumed I needed consultancy because I'd rather someone tell me what to do differently. But I see the value of the coaching because, and one thing that's really great about you is that even the way like you've defined coaching as the person you're coaching being the expert, like you allow people to discover their best version of leadership for themselves and not tell them what leadership should look like. And I know you've talked about this on social media. Can you maybe expand on like some of your thought process around that? Because some people assume leaders should act a certain way. They should be buttoned up, a certain demographic, whatever. But you really empower people to define leadership for themselves and be the you version of what a leader is. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of almost want to, not that I want to turn this into a coaching session, but I think something... <laughs> Let's not do that. But something that you said is so important to kind of highlight, you said you help people uncover the best version of themselves. And that's why I see the value of coaching of, and I'll preface that with good coaching, is because in order to create any kind of lasting change, whether that's in an organization or with an individual, there has to be a collaboration, right? And that's what creates long, long term change. So that buy in that investment comes from true collaboration, which is what a coaching relationship is like. So I kind of wanted to highlight that, like that is the value of treating most things like a collaboration, right? But as far as leadership and the change that I think needs to happen, I I agree with exactly what you said. I think that we have a really kind of old school definition of what leadership is. I, I tend to call it in front leadership, this very kind of heroic version of what leadership is. You know, I have to be charismatic. I have to be extremely confident in everything. I have to be sure of myself. I have to be quick thinking all of the time. I have to kind of be the hero of every situation in order for me to feel justified in calling myself a leader. And because of that, I think a lot of people miss out on the impact that they can make as a leader. And I think undervalue the kind of everyday leadership that can happen. I'm curious to ask you guys, even when we really define leadership for ourselves, or even when I ask people, when I first start working with them, what does leadership mean to you? A lot of people are kind of stumped. It's this really kind of ambiguous word that we have all of these feelings and beliefs about, but we never really take the time to define it for ourselves. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, you got my wheels turning about that question. <laughs> I feel like I already did this with you, but I'm so curious. Not in you, public. Not in public, true. Find it right now. Well, I mean, I think my knee-jerk reaction would be like the ability to inspire a shared vision. Mm, see, I love that. And then I'm always curious to ask, where did that come from? Was that something that you've seen modeled for you? Is that the kind of leader that you choose to be for yourself? Because when we start to kind of investigate, well, where did this definition come from? Why do I feel that I have to be that way? You know, was that something that was said to me? Was this something that was modeled through social media or my educational background, whatever it might be? I think a lot of the times we are kind of carrying those outdated ideas with us versus empowering ourselves and choosing what kind of leader we want to be for ourselves, for our community, for our business. Yeah, that makes sense. I think for me, where that comes from is a mix of things. Like I even think back to a philosophy class in in university and talking about characteristics of leadership or like not characteristics, but I can't think of the right word right now. But then also thinking about leadership in the context of who I am and how I am and like what my personality traits are and my strengths. I agree with you. I think the traditional approach to leadership that like heroic, I think you called it in front leadership. Yeah. Yeah. I don't gravitate towards that as much personally, because even though I feel like I'm an effective communicator, I'm not necessarily the person that wants to be in the front or like the poster boy of the business or anything like that. I want to be the one that is like bringing people together and aligning things and moving the ship forward without necessarily being like the champion in the front. Mm-hmm. So that's where like inspiring a shared vision is exciting to me because it it involves work with people, but not necessarily like all of the attention. And See, I want all the attention. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Like everyone has, there is value in every style of leadership. And I think the beautiful thing that, I get to do with people is, you know, take a sentiment like that, Mike, like I want to inspire through connection, through building that team and figuring out, okay, I have this kind of ethos, this philosophy, this belief, this style of leadership. And how do I make that tangible? How do I shape systems or structures within my company around that so that we can make something tangible, right? Like that is always the next step is getting clear on these things and then figuring out how do I create tangible change, tangible action around that. Yeah, that's so fascinating to me. And I love that your focus is around like leadership and defining, you know, values and things like that, but then also the like practical application of it. I want to rewind a little bit. Like you, you alluded to the fact that you had a difficult relationship with leaders in your life, but I wonder, could you take us back to when you decided that you would pursue leadership coaching as your full-time thing? Mm -hmm. So the last corporate company that I was working for, I was really kind of fortunate because I got to carve out a role for myself in a really quickly growing business. And so essentially what my role was, was to travel around. I kind of was like a glorified mess cleaner upper. (laughs) I just, I really like truly, I would travel for months at a time 
across North America, just living in different places. So I was fortunate enough to live in Toronto and New York and San Francisco. I even was in Alberta for a little bit. But what I did was I would go and I would help out locations that were struggling. So I would rehire, I would retrain, I would work through kind of all of the miscommunications, all of the issues within that team and get them to a good place. And then I would kind of leave. And what I got to do with all that information is then start creating training programs for the company. So ultimately, before I left, my role within that company was very focused on creating training programs and onboarding programs for the entire company. And that was really kind of a defining moment for me in my career and recognizing that I really want to double down on people development. And when I left and started working on my own, ultimately, I thought that it would be business and it would be a lot more kind of systems oriented operations focused, but I kept running into a lot of the same conversations with clients when they often were centered around those things that I touched on earlier when it comes to leadership, that self-awareness piece, that communication, conflict resolution values. So for me, before we do anything in, in business, we really have to make sure that you have a really solid grasp with those four things. And so the longer that I continued working with people, I realized that Number one, it's very exciting for me to focus on those four things. And it's so necessary. And I didn't see people, particularly in my industry, focusing on that. And that's really where I started to actually look at leadership as leadership of self, leadership of business, and leadership of others, and really kind of explore all the nuances of that and all the ways that I can affect leadership through those things. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I think it's really great because I think some people who might be listening to this conversation might think that this might not apply to me because I'm not necessarily a leader or an entrepreneur. But what you, you're saying here is about like self-leadership and how a lot of people don't spend time understanding what that looks like. And that will make you better no matter what role you play in an organization or for yourself. Absolutely. I think I always kind of chuckle to myself because at this point, it's so predictable. <laughs> Everyone's like, what, Sarah, I, I'm a solopreneur or I, I have a really small team. Like, why are we talking about leadership? But you cannot lead anyone else, let alone a business, if you truly don't have a deeper understanding of yourself and are kind of comfortable navigating those things. So something, you know, that people I often get pushback with is when I start exploring things like conflict resolution. Because very often in an adult business, there very rarely is any kind of like arguing, right? Where people are like, this is conflict. But there's so many ways that our fear of conflict shows up and can limit us, right? So showing up and being yourself on social media, sharing your values, sharing your beliefs. If you are afraid of navigating any kind of tense conversation or perceived conflict, that is ultimately hindering you in your business. So it's really cool to see all of the ways that these things do affect us, our business and our relationships. I love what you said about even showing up online and you are such a great example of that. And that's something that I when people ask me about coaching, I, I love sharing your Instagram because you get a full perspective of like who you are as a person and as a expert. For example, if you follow Sarah, you'll see some dancing videos and you'll also see some like great graphics that educate you. But not a lot of coaches would put out the content that you do. And I'm just curious if you can walk us through like why did you decide to put it all out there? Like especially like the silly stuff 
that makes you you, but makes you approachable? Like, why is it all out there? You know, it's funny when I first saw this question, I kind of chuckled to myself. And the first thing that came to mind is ultimately like there isn't a choice, like this is who I am. So I think it's really important for people to know who they're going to work with. So I think from a strategic standpoint, I want you to know what you're signing up for, right? I don't want there to be any surprises. And so a large part of any kind of session that I have with someone, yes, is centered around knowledge, around questions, around asking difficult questions. But there also is hopefully a lot of humor and laughter through maybe some of those more challenging conversations. So I really want there to be a balance. And that's why it's important for me to kind of show up and share that. But I'll take it a little bit deeper. That is also something that I struggled with in my kind of leadership career thus far. So when I first started managing people, I was 24 years old. And in the blink of an eye, all of a sudden, I was overseeing 70 people. I'll just be honest with you, I had absolutely no business doing that. I was bringing forward a lot of very outdated, very traditional ideas of what leadership was. So I was really kind of robotic in the way that I was engaging. There wasn't a ton of curiosity on on my point or from my perspective. And I think there wasn't a lot of collaboration. And ultimately that was coming from a place of insecurity. I'll just be honest. And so I really struggled with wanting to be an expert and wanting to share my knowledge and also balancing that other part of me, which is fun, which is playful. And so it's been this journey for me to be able to kind of merge those two aspects of myself and to accept it and to also appreciate it and say, guess what? I can be a really amazing leader. I can also be really goofy and I can really kind of know my stuff and it doesn't have to be one or the other. And I think that I see that happening a lot in social media as well with anyone who owns their own business is trying to strike that balance of how do I be myself? How do I, you know, share things that I think are funny or a little bit more light and also feel like I'm being taken seriously. And that was a journey for me. It was a process, but ultimately this is who I am. And, and that is the kind of leader that I want to be. So it's really important for me to continue to kind of show up in that way. You talk about that journey a bit from that point when you were 24 and overseeing 70 people to now where you're like, you feel like you're truly yourself and in a position to help other people get to that place as well, whether it's self-leadership or even just like self-awareness. But can you talk a little bit about what that journey looked like? Just go a little bit deeper there for us. Like I even, I think about a 24 year old leading 70 people, like I got to assume that you were just like consumed with work, like working all the time, maybe had like many of us an unhealthy relationship to your work, which is what got you to that place, which is great. But I don't perceive that about you now. I feel like you have some great boundaries and your work-life balance, for lack of better words, because I know there's no such thing as balance, seems to be healthy. What was the reality like then compared to what it's like now? Well, that's a great question. It really was a journey. And I was, you are, you absolutely nailed it. I was a thousand percent consumed with work. Work was absolutely my life. And it was right up until I left the corporate world. So I was always working for companies where that was kind of like the expectation was that you are available. So I remember times where I was sleeping with my work laptop in my bed. I was getting calls from the owner of the company at all hours of the night. I truly didn't take days off for months at a time. I was always always available, always working kind of like those 14-hour, 16-hour days. And it really honestly wasn't until I got sick and burnt out 
and started working for myself that I said, okay, we really need to put some boundaries in place and really started to look at what my relationship was with work. And I think that setting up some of those more emotional boundaries, also some of those time boundaries are really important. But to be honest with you, I had a really kind of codependent relationship with work, which is what I see happening with a lot of other business owners as well, right? So oftentimes when it comes to work, we don't really, or a relationship to work, we don't really think about codependence. We tend to think about that maybe more in our interpersonal relationships, but codependence is really defined as finding our worth in anything that is external to ourselves. And so at this point, a lot of us are getting our worth from our work, what we're able to accomplish. And kind of the anecdote to that, to any kind of codependency is setting up some really clear boundaries. And you taught me a lot about that. <laughs> like, how personal do I get here? I love that we're going into the boundaries conversation because I think it's so important. And I think people are starting to value boundaries more than ever. You know, physical boundaries, boundaries, like emotional boundaries, which honestly, I didn't even know what those were until you and I worked together. So thank you for that. What are some of your personal boundaries? And I know there's a lot of ways to approach that, but maybe we'll start with talking about boundaries around social media. Like you put a lot of yourself out there, but what do social media boundaries look like for you? So for me, I it is night and day between, you know, I'm no longer sleeping with my laptop in my bed. But now for me, some of the clear boundaries that I'm always following, I try to be off my phone at least two hours before I'm going to bed. I'm lucky enough that I leave my laptop in my office. It does not leave my office. Because for me, what tends to happen is it's a little bit like an avalanche. Like I can't look at my email because if I look at my email and I see something, it's really hard for me to stop thinking about it. So I make a a really clear rule not to check my email on weekends. Everyone is aware that I'm not available to them on weekends. And I really try and take one day off a week off of all social media. So if I am posting on something like TikTok, I will pre-record and I'll just go up on there and upload it really quickly. But I take pretty much every Sunday off my phone entirely, like wherever I go, my phone stays at home. My phone does not come into the bedroom at all. And I think the biggest one is really kind of me checking in and seeing how I'm feeling, which is so fluffy and woo woo to say, and I know we're all so tired of hearing it. But ultimately, I think it's really important to kind of check in with how you are feeling before you're engaging with any kind of content so that you aren't just ingesting things or going on the hunt of things when maybe you're not in the best place, when maybe you're having a little bit of a low moment, which is expected. We all have those things. So, you know, maybe that's the day that you put your phone down and you say, I'm taking a break if you're not necessarily in the best place instead of going and comparing. Yeah, that's such a good tip. I am shook that you don't look at your phone for two hours before you go to bed. (laughs) And an entire day of the week. Yeah, like a scroll-free Sunday, I feel like is what people have been doing lately. Like, was it easy for you to do that? Like, I'm just thinking if I were to do that, that would be so hard. No, it was not easy. Like, I was fully addicted to my phone. I mean, I'm like everyone else. I'm addicted to checking things. But... I think I recognize really what I try and ask myself a lot of the time and what I ask my clients a lot of the time is what are the impact of these actions? So long-term, what's the impact of me doing that? Ultimately, I know that it doesn't serve me in the long-term to stay attached to my phone all the time. I'm not really absorbing any of the information. I go into a bit of a daze and I would prefer to be 
intentional about the way that I engage with information. And once I've kind of hit that limit, I take a break. And I know for me, I kind of need that refresher so that at the start of the week, I'm excited and I'm ready to see, you know, what's going on, what people are up to. And I, you know, have had time and space for me to feel like I actually have something to contribute because I've had enough time to kind of sit with myself, think about what I saw over the week, what's interesting to me, and potentially what my take is on any kind of given subject or anything that I want to talk about rather than regurgitating information, which is I feel like what can happen in social media. Sometimes it ends up being a little bit of an echo chamber because we're not taking the time that we need to really ingest information for ourselves, sit with it. Think, what do I think about this? How do I feel about this? What's my take on that? And that's that kind of like critical thinking aspect that you you actually need time to think critically about something. So that time has been really valuable for me. Wow. That's so cool. I feel like that's really important. I feel convicted personally, but I think for our listeners as well, like this idea of not just denying yourself of something like access to your social media, but actually creating the space for you to figure out what your point of view is. Or to think creatively. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really inspiring. Talking about your take or your point of view, you're all over TikTok and you're crushing it. You have a serious following, but we'd love to know a little bit more about your strategy there how you choose what content to post, how you communicate it, how you grew your account, things like that. Lay it on us. I think the thing that I love the most about TikTok is that it feels like one big giant experiment. You can see so quickly when people are resonating with something, when something hits. And I think I've kind of through a lot of experimentation, a lot of trial and error, I've really figured out what connects with people the most. And then it really becomes a challenge for me to figure out, okay, this formula really works. How can I continue to kind of do that? So, you know, without being ambiguous, I'll make it more specific. I have found that anyone in my audience really loves how to's, but like short, quick how to's anything under like 15 seconds. And they want it to be more factual, which is fantastic, because that's the kind of information that I really love to share as well. You know, I've noticed like, okay, they love to know about organizing their time, they love to know about organizing their systems, they love to learn about how to plan better for themselves. So what I do every week is I sit down, I think I've talked about this a lot on Instagram, but I have a Notion dashboard that I'm obsessed with that I built out for myself. And in the moment, if I get asked a question, if someone says something that sparks a thought in me, I'll make a note on my dashboard. And then every single Monday, I sit down and I go through all of those notes. And I see if there's some content that I can create from questions, from other things that have been asked, from things that have sparked a thought. And I'll just jot down some ideas really quickly. And then it becomes a process of me figuring out, okay, how can I shorten this to 10 seconds? As someone who loves long-winded explanations, that is probably the biggest challenge, but it's showing up consistently, experimenting, and then continuing to recreate that formula that really works that your audience is digging, I guess. Yeah, I think that's so cool that you cr- you start with questions people ask you. Because I think a lot of thought leaders on social media they look at like what the other people in their space are doing, what the other people in their space are talking about, but they don't start with their own community. They don't start with their own clients. Like I think that is such a good tip for anyone who's thinking about building out a social media presence around their thought expertise. A thousand percent. I mean, I I guess I feel like I'm quite fortunate because I have conversations with clients almost every day. So I walk away from that feeling really inspired there's tons of questions that I'm asking that my clients are asking. 
And I always make a point to jot that down. So I have an ongoing list of topics that I get asked about a ton. And if I'm ever kind of putting up a poll or anything on Instagram, I'm always transferring that to my kind of content database. And that's where I'm pulling ideas off of to make sure that I'm giving information that is needed and wanted and not just something that I feel like is important. I will inject that in there and then I'll see how people respond, but ultimately I'm here to serve. And so it's important for me to make sure that I'm serving something that's wanted and needed. Yeah. On a really practical level, do you script yourself? No, but you know what? Ultimately that's what works for me. I think because I am really comfortable and I would also argue that's probably one of my strengths is showing up and speaking and teaching. So it's really quite comfortable for me to do that. The only thing that I spend any amount of time kind of scripting is the hook. And that is the thing that I have learned the most on TikTok that you hear time and time again is the hook. And that is the one thing that I spend a good chunk of time sitting down and figuring out, okay, how do I grab them in two seconds? Yeah. So the hook is like the first thing you say that will keep them from scrolling flipping to another video. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Cool. I'm glad you clarified that because I just assumed it was like the one liner that like sums up everything you're talking about. Maybe th- maybe they're the same sometimes, but cool. I, as you can tell by that comment, I'm not super active on TikTok. I still do quite a bit on Instagram. Mitzi's all over TikTok. I'm, I'm his a, TikTok bartender. Yeah. She serves me up some I good ones. I just save ones that he'll like and show him later. For sure. But the question I have buried in there is... To you, what would you say is the difference between the TikTok community and the Instagram community and which one's your favorite? TikTok feels like a house party that's gotten out of control. Mm. (laughs) You know, you maybe started off with a small group of people and then they invited some friends and then they invited some friends. And pretty soon you look around the room and you're like, I don't know anyone. And this has gotten out of control, you know, kind of like a college house party or something like that. Versus I would say Instagram really does feel a lot more intimate. It feels a lot more kind of like you're chatting with a close group of friends, probably because there is space to go a little bit deeper. There is more space for nuance, which is what I love to explore. So I think for that reason, it feels more intimate, more kind of connected, more friendly. Sometimes with TikTok, you really don't know what you're going to get. I've done a lot of lives on there and... You never know what you're going to get when you do a live on TikTok. Wait, what do you mean by that? Like you never know who's going to watch? Yeah, you have no idea. So, you know, absolutely anyone could show up and listen to your live. They can say whatever they want. They can ask whatever they want. And it can feel a little bit all over the place sometimes because people are just kind of coming in and adding in their two cents or arguing with you about something or saying something offhand, off base. And so you are there teaching. For me, I'm always teaching if I'm doing live. And so it's kind of funny. It's a little bit like a circus, like you're trying to wrangle it. So there are people who are really invested in asking questions about what you're teaching. And then sometimes there are people who are coming way out of left base saying all sorts of interesting, wild things that you're trying to field. So I would say if you're someone who is trying to get more comfortable with public speaking, that would be a very rough start. I am (laughs) a seasoned public speaker. And you know, I even got a little bit sweaty sometimes there. So it's an adventure for sure. (laughs) Oh, I wish I could watch one of those. (laughs) Like, I feel like you'd handle it like a champ, but that would also be so funny. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There was a couple times where I'd even had clients and, you know, I had a session with them a few days later and they were like, 
good for you. I was trying to feel some of those comments. I was like, it's very interesting, particularly as a woman sometimes showing up there speaking about business and, you know, people want to say other things. So. Wow. Thank you for doing that for on behalf of all women who will be going live at some point on TikTok. Yeah. (laughs) So obviously Instagram and TikTok, they both are part of your overall like digital strategy as a coach and as a like leadership teacher outside of social media, you also do newsletters, which is amazing that you do all of that stuff so well. What has given you the best return on your investment from all the platforms and medias that you work on? I think from everyday marketing perspective, growing your audience, growing your community, getting that exposure. I think TikTok is absolutely wonderful for that. I mean, I've been able to grow relatively quickly compared to something like Instagram. So I think TikTok is really fantastic for exposure, for growth. Instagram is really fantastic for retention, for building a relationship, for exploring more nuanced topics. I think newsletters are fantastic. I love newsletters personally from a strategic perspective, obviously, more of your audience is able to see them. You can get an open rate of 50, 60% of everyone that's on there versus, you know, how many people are actually seeing a post that I'm creating on Instagram or something like that. I have found the most success when I am launching something. So whether that be a course or a product or anything like that, newsletters have been really fantastic for me in that capacity, but exposure, building relationships, having more of a two-sided dialogue, Instagram and TikTok are fantastic, but my favorite overall is TikTok. I kind of like that it's a little bit like a circus. I kind of like that it feels a lot less serious. I like how quick and easy it is for me to create content on there. And that is purely my experience because I am comfortable with video content. It's easy for me to talk versus having to create graphics or something like that. It's just a little bit more of a time investment. So I can create content much quicker for TikTok. And it's it's more enjoyable for me because it's playing to my strengths. And with TikTok specifically, are you just treating that as kind of that awareness or quote unquote top of funnel activity? Or have you seen actual direct leads come from that platform? I've been quite lucky. I've been able to sign three or four clients at this point from TikTok. My newsletter list has tripled in size. So I've really kind of started... I started to create some digital products for people to kind of get an intro to me, who I am, what I'm capable of, what I can do for them. And so I'm really looking at TikTok as that at this point, as this introduction into me, who I am, and offering some products that are more suited to the audience that's on there, and then inviting them to join me in my newsletter where I can get more in depth. I can explore things in more nuance and build, like I said, more of a two-sided relationship, not just me talking at them, but actually engaging in conversation with people, whether that be in a DM conversation on IG or someone responding to a newsletter. How have you been able to keep up with all of this in addition to like being consistent on TikTok and Instagram and newsletters and digital products and your coaching, like how do you keep on top of all of that and stay consistent? I think it's really important to define what consistency means for yourself. So I think that's probably the number one trap that I feel like business owners or any kind of content creator falls into is they feel like consistency means every single day. I don't think that it has to mean every single day. So there's different types of consistency. So TikTok, I do post every single day. And I have for probably the last five months, I've posted every single day. 
And why? Like, is it because you've noticed that it gives you more traction that way? Yes, I have. And like I said, it's it's actually easier for me to create in that way. I mean, creating video content, it's easier for me to kind of produce something every single day or batch stuff, for example. So I'm not necessarily active on that platform every single day, but I am posting something every single day on there. I don't post something every single day on Instagram as far as a feed post or a reel or anything like that. It's easy for me to show up and talk in stories. So that's something that I'm happy to kind of do consistently. And consistency means every single day a story for me. As far as newsletters, because it's a deeper dive. I'm really exploring a topic. I'm making sure that there is a lesson in there, that there is a real story in there, that there is a takeaway, that there is something, you know, someone can walk away in action in their life, in their business. And that takes a lot more thought and a lot more research. So the kind of consistency that I'm happy to kind of offer when it comes to newsletters is once a month. And so I think it's really important to define what consistency actually means for yourself. Because like I said, it doesn't have to be every single day. I think the other thing that's really important is organizing a system, right? So as I mentioned earlier, I built something out on Notion that really helps my workflow, helps me gather those ideas on an ongoing basis, because that's the way that I am creative. It's kind of sporadic. I can't kind of just sit down and come up with a bunch of ideas. So really, I built out a system that sets me up for success in that way. And I think that's the other thing that's missing is people not necessarily building out processes or or systems that are conducive to the way that they work and what they want to create. And I think the other thing is knowing who you are and showing up and serving in that way. So when I say know who you are, I mean, really know your traits. I think that's the other distinction that's really kind of important to make. I think a lot of the time when we hear the word strengths, we tend to think about skills. When I'm talking about strengths, I really mean traits. Like who are you as a person? How can you really embody or embrace that um, to take some of that pressure off of yourself to be anything other than who you are and sharing what it is that you have to share. Yeah, I think that's so great. I love what I learned about skills and traits. I feel like that was groundbreaking for me, but I love that you touched on that too. I want to pivot to value. Speaking of things that I've learned from you, I love that part of you know the four things that you support leaders with is defining what their values are. Why do you think that's important? For so many reasons, I I really think people underestimate the value of of having clearly defined values. (laughs) They are so helpful for a ton of different reasons. Number one, they help you make decisions. I think that's probably the most overlooked value of values. I wish I could think of a different way to say value of values, but there we are. They really can aid you in the way that you shape and build your business. I think from a marketing perspective, they can help set you apart from other people in your field. They're giving people into a window into who you are, what you're all about. And I think more importantly, they kind of touch on intrinsic motivation. So I guess the question is, how familiar are you guys with intrinsic motivation? School us. School. (laughs) Not to go into teacher, but... So business is hard enough as it is, right? And I think a lot of us are kind of caught on what's called a hedonic treadmill, okay? So a hedonic treadmill is essentially you set a goal to achieve something external of yourself. You chase it down, you grind, you get it, you feel really happy, but that feeling dissipates quite quickly. And so 
you level up again. You're setting another goal. You're hoping to kind of replicate that feeling. You're chasing that feeling, right? And that is what extrinsic motivation is. Values are intrinsic motivation. They're things that are internal to you. Those are things that are kind of guiding lights for you, you could say, your North Star, you could say. So when we're looking at it from a business perspective, business is tough enough as it is. It can be incredibly helpful in those moments to be able to circle back to those values, to those things that are internally motivated to you and remind you why you're doing this in the first place. So I think that is just a few of the reasons why values are so important to have, to communicate, and to build your business off of. Speaking of building your business off that, I think like intrinsic motivation makes so much sense when it comes to like identifying or, or articulating your own personal values as a leader or business person. But would there be a difference to articulating your values as a business or as a team compared to that? What's your take on that? I really think it's just doing it from a, a, at a different scale, right? So if we're looking at it from a business perspective, and these are my business's values, like that is ultimately shaping the company culture. Those are, again, the things that are internally motivating to you as a team. This is how your team is making decisions. And from a leadership perspective, really helpful in shaping how your team is choosing to move through business, how they are making decisions, really referring back to that business's values and saying, you know, if this is important to us, how would I handle this situation? What am I going to do when I'm confronted with this, right? So it's just on a different scale, but I think still very much in the same vein, they're helping you make decisions, they're shaping company culture, they're shaping systems, processes, structures, all of that kind of stuff. This is really timely information for us because we're going through the process of identifying our business values now. So that was kind of a selfish question from us. So thank you for doing that. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's really important. I I love that. And I know we've had a few brief conversations about it, but I love even that you guys are exploring asking your team because to kind of reference something I said earlier, when we're talking about having buy-in, really kind of lasting change in an organization, research shows that like 70% of any kind of changes or any new systems or anything that's being introduced in a, in a company ultimately fails because there isn't enough buy-in. So when we kind of co-create that with those around us, whatever that might be, whether that's a values rollout or a new systems rollout, when there is any amount of co-creation, there's so much more buy-in and investment, which is what's so needed to really bring it to life for there to be success in it. Mm -hmm. It got my wheels turning. (laughs) Yeah. I think we're in a cool position too. And I don't know how many of our listeners would relate to this, but because we're a few years into our business and we haven't yet really articulated or defined what those values are, I feel like it's a bit of a unique process because, well, at least for us, we're having to almost start by asking ourselves what is true about our culture now that we like, that we want to like protect and even like cultivate further. But then how can we like take that and strengthen it by 30%, you know, like what's the future state of that characteristic and how do we define that as a value so that there's still like growth potential there and like a trajectory for it. And it like can somehow strengthen us, but then it it doesn't feel like so detached from our current reality that it feels like we're just making something up. Like so many 
businesses like mission, vision and values feel like on their website. You know yeah. what I mean? Oh, absolutely. I mean, tell me how many times you've worked for a company and on an orientation day, you've been given a really beautiful pamphlet that talked all about what they cared about, what they valued. And you never heard that again after that day. Right. And then that's what you see happen. Right. Mike, like you, any organization, they kind of, I always laugh or I joke that they go, values go to collect digital dust wherever they land, but values are a living, breathing thing. They should be in daily conversations and they should be aspirational, right? They're kind of this really beautiful check and balance where we can say, this is who we want to be. So we make decisions based on that. And this is kind of who we are, right? So I love that you kind of called that out. Yeah. And then I feel like businesses like that, it just immediately compromises the employee's relationship with the brand, you know, Uh and like the employee relationship with the brand is as important or likely more important than the customer's. So if the employee can't even actually feel like they have an authentic connection to what the brand is saying about itself, then how can you expect your customers to? But Absolutely. maybe another conversation. <laughs> we could have a whole other episode about this. We're coming up to our last question and we'd like to ask all of our guests this question. Sarah, who's making waves right now and why? Flex Mommy is someone who, uh, do you guys, are you guys familiar with her? I think I have seen her on social. Yeah, I think I've seen her too. I am absolutely obsessed with her. So she wrote a book that's called The Success Experiment. But what I really love is the conversation that she's having around defining success for yourself, anyone who's doing a different career, a more creative career, really defining success for themselves. And I love the way that she talks about critical thought. So she is someone that I'm obsessed with right now. And there's a gentleman, his name is Maceo Paisley. And he is another person who's just what I would consider to be a thought leader. He has really, I think, a unique perspective on the way that we're showing up in business, how we look at, we spend our times as individuals, how we engage with our work. So he's another person who's kind of a thought leader in that capacity and someone that I definitely love reading whatever he's putting out. Awesome. Yeah, we'll get those in the show notes for sure. Lastly, and equally important to everything else we've been talking about, how can our listeners connect with you? But even more so, how can they hire you? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for that. Thank you for that. Really appreciate that. You can find me on TikTok and on Instagram at Sarah C. McCabe. What I would really love, though, is if you are following me on either platform, hit me up in the DMs. I love to have a conversation. I want to learn about you or send me an email at info at sarahcmccabe.com. We can have a chat. We can hop on the phone. I really love having conversations as opposed to someone just following me. Yeah. Well, you're good at it. Yeah, you're great. Thank you so much, Sarah. This has been an absolute banger. And we're so glad that you could join us. And we really want to have more of these conversations with you. So listeners, stay tuned. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you. This episode of Wave Social Podcast is powered by Arcade Studios. Show notes for this episode and other episodes can be found at wavesocialpodcast.com. You can also subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you've got questions, comments, or suggestions for future shows, hit us up at wavesocial on Instagram. Thanks for joining us.